Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Virtual Boozer. Welcome to the Mary Rose. In case you've been under a rock, that ship won the competition yesterday, won uh, last week, the debate for the greatest ship of all time, and therefore is now the name of our pub. Now, today, we thought we'd get together and debate a very broad topic. Uh, who is the nastiest villain in history and we've got a great lineup of people i'm proud to say that the girls are pretty much trying to take over the pub today as well which is awesome um so we have a mixture of enthusiasts and experts um, and we're all going to attempt to amuse you while we get ratted for the next hour or so um, depending on how long we waffle on for first of all though our judge from last week is back because i was so impressed with the 85 pages of notes he took judge holmes are you there I'm here, yeah. I'm up with my pen and notebook. The not so honourable. No, well, not anymore. I mean, I haven't got my gavel out this week. And beside him this week in the judging chair is, well, not beside him because it's illegal, virtually beside him, somewhere in leafy pearly, is Jonathan Dyer. Hey, Johnny. Evening. How are we all? You looking forward to this? Oh, yes, very much so. Second pint um, as well. So. Second pint already. So you two are on mm -hmm. the beer then. Let's get to some of our enthusiasts and say hello. So we have Rebecca. Oh, no, sorry, not Rebecca. Kate joining us from Gibraltar. Hey, Kate, how's lockdown in Gibraltar? Hi, it's okay. Um, I'm actually just across the border in Spain. So it's worse. We're on day 20, I think now. And the most exciting it gets is clapping the um, health workers at 8 o'clock. Oh, that's that's tonight here as well. And we did this last week. We recorded while they were doing that. So maybe at eight o'clock, we'll have to briefly applause to say that we haven't forgotten it. Uh, and also back this week is James, because James was so good last week at arguing for a totally ridiculous choice for the greatest ship of all time. He actually half managed to convince people that a ship that lies on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and killed 1500 people should be named the greatest ship of all time. So we've asked him to come back again. Hi, James. Hey, Alex. You got another doozy for us this week? Yes, I do. Yes, good, I do. Good. And also joining us today is one of our most ardent listeners. Uh, unfortunately, he's another solicitor. This is threatening to turn into a yuppie bar. Um, Clive, Clive O'Connell from London. How are you doing, Clive? Very well. Thank you, Alex. What are you drinking? 
I'm drinking water. Tap water? Is this till water. after you've made your argument and then you'll get on the hard stuff? No, no, no. I'm a pure living person. Well, you're a better man than us. Okay, so let's kick off with our enthusiasts today. Who am I going to go to first? Uh, James, you go first this week. Tell us, who have you picked to be the nastiest villain in history? Okay, I've picked Vlad the Third Dracula, more commonly known as Vlad the Impaler. This is a pretty good one, yeah. but, but spell it out for Holmes and Dyer. Why is he the pick? Okay, he's a real doozy. This is a... When you think Middle Ages, you think there's a lot of villains, like King John, etc. But Vlad the Impaler is such an evil villain that the first best-selling books were made about him in Germany. This is a guy that didn't impale people when they were dead. He impaled them when he was alive. And it, to describe impaling, I, we've got to try and keep this fairly family-friendly. No, just we don't. Say it's fine. When... It's the pub. This is a okay, non-child-friendly well, pub. Go for it. Okay, well, let's just say it usually went up the arse, through the body, through the mouth. And if any of you have seen Hot Fuzz, the scene where the guy gets impaled on the spike, it's like that. But imagine the whole body and the person being alive. Ouch. This is a guy that had to fight for his, effectively, principality three times. First with Ottoman support, secondly with Hungarian support, and then I can't remember the third one. It was after he was imprisoned for his cruelty. Monks wrote about his cruelty and how even in prison he used to impale rats because he couldn't forget his wickedness. The body counts, it's in the tens of thousands. He massacred his own people, he massacred Hungarians, Ottomans, Bulgarians... The stories how when he was defeated on the battlefield, they found all the impaled people that he left behind to scare them. He used to eat meals in front of impaled people. Um, he impaled two monks to help them to get to heaven. And when their donkey started bleating, he impaled the donkey. <laughs> I mean, this, yep, yeah, yeah, this guy was something. I mean, the history of that area. It's very sparse, but because of what the Ottomans and because of Vlad the Impaler, suddenly the West started to know about this history. It started to be printed into books, and it inspired Dracula, the Bram Stoker's Dracula, who's arguably one of the most evil fiction villains. He's not a nice one like Gru, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like Gru. Yeah. I'm not having Gru talked about disparagingly tonight. Yeah. No, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, it's... I mean, I've just... I've read the histories by Chalka Kanaidlis. There was a recent translation of what Vlad did. And when he first took command, he got all the nobles he believed were treasonous, killed the mobile impalement, Impalement, them and their sons, wives, and servants. This wasn't just one person. This was like Game of Thrones, Daenerys crucifying <laughs> all the masters uh, for killing all those babies. This, I mean, it's hard to describe how evil Vlad the Impaler was. And the weird thing is, is he's considered a Romanian folk hero 
and his cruelty actually increased central power in the region against the Ottomans. It's mind-boggling how evil this guy is, and yet he's treated like a hero. I think the modern... I think the Romanians said that if he was tried at Nuremberg, they'd have killed him right there and then. His crimes are pale in comparison to some of the modern crimes, but it's really up there. Holmes. Yeah, I'd be interesting to know what, why he did this. Was it for, um, like, you know, was he just behaving like a medieval or was there a greater purpose? I think it's a case of he was a hostage from the Ottomans from a young age. His father sent him and his brother as hostages. And when his father and his elder brother were murdered, so it could be partially started off as revenge and cruel punishment, and then he seemed to grow to like it, and then did it to nearly everyone he could. It seems to go beyond paranoia. It just seems to go enjoyment and an enjoyment of the act. No, it's interesting. Um, I mean, did he have any... Why is he, is he regarded as a folk hero? I, this, this is the bit I'm struggling to understand. It's, um, is, is there a redeeming feature somewhere within this um, sort of array of murder and death of thousands and thousands of people that, um, that sort of gives him a, a good side, if you, if you like? It's, it, the, the way they've described him being a folk hero is because he caused central power and centralization to increase in the region the strength of his nation and also against ottoman encroachment in the region against wallachia later romania and then hungary i was just going to say are there are there any effects that we can see now you know from from his reign any benefits obviously you can't go about seeing loads of goths but are there anything else <laughs> Um, not that I know of, unless it's, it's inspiration for people that he managed to fight off a lot of opponents. I mean, the tourism in the region, it's partly up because of Dracula, well, obviously the story villain inspired by him, but tourism in the region. But besides that, there's no real positive effect. It just seems to be one of those people like to think of him as a folk hero, like we think of past British generals and so and forth as folk heroes. It's pretty horrific. Um, <laughs> it's a good, it's a yeah. good shout. I was hoping someone would come on and do him because, I mean, he is a bastard of the highest order, um, folk hero or not. Let's move on to Kate in Gibraltar, who's an events manager. She's come tonight, and she's got, she's going to fast forward a couple of hundred years in history, aren't you, Kate? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to nominate? Um, I chose Maximilian Robespierre, although I'm questioning that decision ever since I suggested him. So if we can do round two another time, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some reasons. So um, he was a lawyer and a politician um, during the French Revolution. He That's murdered- enough. murdered tens of thousands of people um he could there is an argument 
whereby he could be considered great, um, but he definitely should be considered a villain. Um, he was a vicious little man. He was jealous, wealth-hating architect of the French Revolution, um, and he caused the reign of terror. Um, and during that time, he used the poor and the excluded to basically terrorise his peers into doing what he wanted them to. And when that didn't work, he abused his position of authority and used what was the tribunal that was basically his murder squad to send them to the guillotine. So while he might have started off good, that's debatable, um, he ended up sort of a self-gratifying, fanatical, bit cowardly as well, sort of narcissist, who caused tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths. Um, he was... He was part of the revolution from the very beginning. You know, he really caused the start of it. He was part of uh, the breaking away of the Third Estate and all of sort of the start of the revolution. He um, claimed that violence is indispensable to the advancement of the revolution. And that was how he justified the reign of terror. He invented his own religion, um, which he thought everybody should follow. Uh, he helped as a member of the Jacobins and as their president, he helped bring in a whole new calendar um, how, like, how can you even do that? That's just absurd. Uh, <laughs> he claimed to represent like the third estate, the, the sort of the poor people, the servants of Jews, Protestants, the excluded people. But all he really did was agitated them into intimidating his rivals. Um, after the storming of the Bastille, he praised them, calling them a patriotic army who used acceptable violence to exact justice on the guilty. Um, he likely caused the assault on the Tuileries, which terrified the assembly into voting to suspend the king. So he played a real part in the downfall of the monarchy in France. Um, and he had this vision of an ideal democratic republic um, and believed that terror was essential to achieve that. And he basically killed anybody who stood in his way. Um, he set up this revolutionary tribunal that had extraordinary powers to impose the death sentence. And he basically ran this tribunal, selecting the jury and the prisoners, um, and they weren't allowed a defence. And like I said, it was his murder squad, basically. And between this and the law of suspects, um, he was responsible for 17,000 deaths in nine months, as well as all the others during the uh, other sort of uh, fights and, and the massacres during the French Revolution. Um, and this was somebody who, at one time, he claimed to oppose the death sentence. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that much about him when I suggested him. I knew some, but not loads. So I looked into him a bit more, and I really don't like him. He was horrible. <laughs> He's just horrible. I think you've un <laughs> you've undoubtedly that he meets the the basic bastard criteria. Uh, Johnny, have you got any questions? <laughs> I mean, this this is pretty impressive. I, I thought we open up with with Vlad the Impaler, which is a, is a pretty strong candidate. Impaling donkeys. I mean, you know, if I told my wife that, he would he would win the vote straight away. Um, but having your own calendar, your own religion, abusing authority, indispensable. You know, violence is part of um, part of your thing. That's quite strong. It's got to be said. He's um, he's he's way up there. What um, what was his his motivation for kind of getting rid of? of the monarchy um he wanted this he had this ideal um this idea of this virtuous ideal society and he was going to implement this by whatever means necessary i mean that is it's just complete his life was just one massive oxymoron you know he was just he wanted democracy and virtuousness and he was going to murder people to get it um it's he murdered all his political rivals all of them <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, that's it's quite impressive in the sense that, it, that there is there's an element of, of with any sort of you know lunatics from history. There's always that at least the trains ran on time element of it. So he, his aims were supposedly reasonably virtuous, but his means were not terribly good. I mean, I think I don't I don't think we need to um, let the fact he was a lawyer be held against him. To be honest, says <laughs> 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 the lawyer in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I've met, a, I've met a few lawyers over the years who would think of nothing of guillotining 16,000 people, and perhaps a couple of them would have sent invoices to their surviving <laughs> relatives as well. I think there's also the fact that um, he was born in Arras, which I've got a little bit of a soft spot for as well. Um, I know it fairly well. And um, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but I also believe he abolished slavery. Look, he was quite pure in the sort of goal he was aiming for, as I understand it. It was sort of, he was executed on his way to achieving that goal rather than achieving it and then becoming corrupt and look, just looking to maintain the sort of status quo like sort of Stalin did. But he was doing it in a somewhat overzealous fashion, shall we say. And I did, in my defence, suggest that he could be considered great. This is true. I, I think mm -hmm. Holmes is clutching at straws a bit and trying to make him sound slightly less horrific than he actually was. There's a bit of lawyer solidarity. The yeah, other, I when I looked at him as well, because I, I, I did a brief, a, a brief sort of internet search, and I couldn't help noticing that what, I looked at him when he was a young child, and he had exactly the same hair as he had when he was older. So originally, I thought, well, that's just a powdered wig. That was the fashion. But looking at his hair when he was eight, that just seemed to be his hair. And maybe that's why he turned into such a psycho. <laughs> a very valid point. To be in to be entirely fair, I've had roughly the same haircut for about 40 years, so I'm not kind of going <laughs> This is true. Okay, let's I, mean, I, I, was in the same, I was in the same position as well until the weekend, and I had to let my wife cut it for the first time. I'm sure Diane enjoyed that. Let's move on to Clive. Clive, are you with us? I really, I really like your I... choice, because it's different. Well, can I just first say that Robespierre was a Jesuit-educated lawyer and I got nothing against him whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I knew I should have picked somebody else. See ya. No. I'm with you, Kate. I'm with you. He was a dick. <laughs> he okay. was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Clive. I, Tell us your guy. I was, I was extraordinarily excited to be asked by Alex to participate today. And my excitement, as it often does, obscured good sense and judgment. So I've spent the last week thinking about all sorts of really nasty people and their lives. And it's rather put me off my work. One thing that <laughs> struck me about most of them is that they were either deluded by a sense of religious or political righteousness, or bonkers, or both. Most would have thought that what they were doing was the right thing. And all of them would have been wrong. Hitler, Pol Pot, Stalin, Mao, Pinochet, Bin Laden, Rafa Benitez, and Martin Luther. <laughs> all probably thought that they were justified in their actions. Surely you can't go for all of those. You're bound to win. No, no, no. Not all of them. None of them, in fact. Another thing that struck me from that list, other than possibly Martin Luther, their ability to do evil was limited by time. Their legacies were pretty flimsy. And so I looked for someone who, in common with all the others, was a person who firmly believed that his actions were good, but also left a legacy of devastation. That made the answer really quite simple. I came across a man, and they are, we must admit, mainly men. This man had left a legacy of misery and destruction. 
He was someone who destroyed lives. He destroyed countries. And yet he'd received the following lamentations when he died. He was, they said, an ardent and thorough investigator in the field of chemical and physical science. And alternatively, <laughs> we must especially regret the decease of one of these at so early an age, men gifted with so much originality, versatility, and with such extraordinary powers of work, are at all times rare, and we can ill afford to lose them. Dr. Charles Romley Alder Wright was born in 1844 and died at the age of 49 in 1894. He was the model of a Victorian man of science, the very epitome of learning that shaped the economic, economic supremacy of the British Empire. He was a founder of the Royal Institute of Chemistry, a member of the Royal Society. He published learned works on subjects as diverse as soap, waterproof paper, canvas goods, and disinfectants. He worked at St. Mary's Hospital, Paddington, and it was there in 1864, at the age of 30, that he set out to create a non-addictive alternative to morphine for the alleviation of pain. He had suffered from hip pain throughout his life. And among literally hundreds of other new opiate compounds that he developed, he was the first person to synthesize diamorphine. Although he died before his discovery could be commercially exploited and before its addictive qualities were known, he created what became known as heroin. And his creation, born out of a desire to improve the lot of mankind, has wreaked chaos and destruction across the world, from the poppy fields of Afghanistan to the streets of the American Rust Belt. It has destroyed lives and families that have made organized crime bosses rich, it has slain people in drug wars. It has corrupted governments and police forces. It has made modern slaves out of mules. It has seen kids gunned down or knifed. It has spread HIV. It has done no good. Okay, so it gave us the works of William Burroughs and Irving Walsh. It gave us brown sugar by the stones and golden brown by the stranglers. <laughs> and of course, the greatest rock track of all time, heroin by the Velvet Underground. <laughs> But those are scant consolation for all of the harm that Alders Wright's invention has caused, and most particularly that it continues to cause. The road to hell is truly paved with good intentions, and Alders Wright has consigned millions to hell. His initial good intentions, without an appreciation of the harm that could be done, demonstrate that innocent but ill-considered acts of men can be more harmful than premeditated evil. After all, wasn't it one chap in China, hungry for a quick snack, who bit into a bat and caused the current pandemic? Charles Romney Alder Wright, this is your legacy. Oh, that was very well done. <laughs> I says you put a lot of time into that. I can tell you're a lawyer. <laughs> we didn't know you were a lawyer yeah, based fine. on that. Yeah. Go on, guys, hit him. <laughs> and Jesuit <laughs> education, I would add. <laughs> I don't think Clive should be allowed back next week because he does sound like a proper proper lawyer and that's somewhat embarrassing to me. <laughs> <laughs> you got any questions for him, Holmes? Um, I, well, I, I was going to ask him about his creative input, but he, I've covered that off quite nicely at the end with the, the reference to the, the books and songs that have been written, but he did miss out Zamo and the Grange Hill cast, I noticed. <laughs> I'm too old for Grain Chill, sadly. I missed that. <laughs> Johnny, and, any and questions? 
Um, I, I mean, I would like to point out that I have been on the receiving end of diatribes like that from Clive, generally about choice of right back in a Chelsea side in the pub. So, you know, he is... For a second, I thought you were going to say... Very... For a second, I thought you were going to say that you'd been on the receiving end of quite a lot of heroin, and I was like, this is not the time, Johnny. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, I think... I mean, I think realistically, like you say... It's 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 about the good intentions that go wrong. Um, I mean, founding the Royal, one of the founder members of the Royal Society of Chemistry, that's been a f probably been quite an important branch of, of science and research and all the rest of it over over the course of the last sort of hundred odd years. So, you know, it, he did. He he's clearly done many many good things as well, and it would seem to be that what he created, it's broadly not his fault. Oh, it was his fault because he didn't look through to the conclusion of what he was doing. And he brought out something half-cocked. But I guess, I guess history's, millions history's of lives. Absolutely, examples like that. Like, you know, for instance, the chap who yeah. invented asbest, you know, asbestos, for example. Asbestos, I mean, arguably. That's not led to any top ten hits, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> asbestos <laughs> saved, uh, saved more lives than it destroyed, though. I can talk for hours about asbestos. Don't worry; it's one of my specialist <laughs> subjects. It's 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 the law of unintended consequences in the sense that we are all currently sat in a virtual pub for the simple reason that someone cooked bat soup. Now they didn't intend to kill hundreds of people and and cause all this current state of bother, but it just it just worked out that way. It's not that they didn't think it through; it's just that there are ultimately unintended consequences. So. I, in, impassioned as it was, I, I kind of think he's possibly being treated a bit harshly here. Oh, Johnny, I know it's very, very kind of you. I've made a note of that. I've made a note of it for future courtroom appearances. <laughs> Guys, we've heard from our enthusiasts. Where do you stand at the moment after round one? Before we bring in the big guns, where do you stand? I'm, I mean, go on, Johnny. There's, 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 some, there's some pretty strong candidates, it's got to be said. Um, Robespierre is, is out there at the moment just because he seems slightly unhinged and over, overall what he was attempting to do. He had good intentions, but we, his, his methods and his means were really quite appalling. Um, Vlad is clearly quite mad and a, and a bit of a, an obsession with sticking things up people, which is... You know, worrying in in many ways. Um, Alder Wright, I'm I'm with you, Clive. I I, I get it, but um, I he's he's not up there just yet for me. Holmes, I'm 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 going for Vlad the Impaler. I think at the moment. I mean, bizarrely and coincidentally, I noticed I had a Vlad the, Vlad the Impaler fridge magnet on my fridge earlier today. Which I don't know what that's doing there, but that's that's a sign, if nothing else. <laughs> You've and, never been to Romania, have you? No, I have. I went once for oh. a night. Spookerest. I'm assuming that's where it came from. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, the thing with Rospia is that he did... At least he killed people in a vaguely humane way rather than just sticking a massive stick up their arse and hoisting them up. And then if we're just going on to the number of death alone, they're, they're fairly similar, aren't they? Uh, James, what was the body count on Vlad the Impaler? Um, there's no exact numbers, but there was tens of thousands of his own people, at least 20,000 Turks and Bulgarian civilians alone. We don't know battle casualties. 
Uh, so, I think it was about 10,000 Hungarians at least, but exact numbers are hard to pinpoint. So All considerably higher. Yeah, well, we, we may be split at the moment. I'm slightly torn, just purely because Rossby has had slightly purer aims is the straw that I'm manfully clutching at at the moment. Did he have purer aims, though, or was he just using that as an excuse? Because men are getting known to do that. <laughs> As I was looking into him, I started to feel like he was just using this virtuousness as an excuse to kill anyone who stood in his way. Um, Kate, uh, I wanted to say this earlier, but I'll let the judges have their say. I, I almost chose Rospierre as well, by the way. But then oh, I came across um, Jean-Paul Murat. Uh, yeah. He's quite evil and up there with Rospierre. And when Murat effectively had to retire... Rospierre and the rest of the cronies had to distance themselves from Murat, who mm. I found was equal, equally culpable with the French Revolution, and especially the September massacres. Mm. So I see why you went for Rospierre. I almost went for it myself, but yeah. I, I wouldn't I have... go to him again. I, I, I always... definitely wouldn't choose him a second time. <laughs> <laughs> who would you pick, Kate, if we'd have let you pick again at the last minute? I would have picked Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, see, I've picked her. She's coming up. Don't worry. Oh, I'm so glad you got Yeah, <laughs> we had to have a woman on the list, and she surely deserves to be on it. But we'll get her to her last of all. Um, guys, thank you so much for your input. Um, now let's move on to our experts. Okay, so moving on, it turns out Johnny is disappointed at a lack of per uh, perverts so far on the list. Um, and uh, we sent Clive to the bar, the virtual bar, because he sounds posher and richer than all of us put together. Um, let me introduce you to the first of our experts. Uh, who am I going to go through first? I'm going to go for Ben first. So Ben Hope. Hello. Hello, Ben. He not only is a fantastic, fantastic historian, but he's an actor as well. So if anybody went to see um, that 40 Towers dinner theatre show he was the original Basil Fawlty and it's something he still does when he's not locked up at home. Still do I'm, I'm still slaving under a hot tweed jacket yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah I, don't, I went to see that yeah that, that was rather fantastic. Oh, we I'm do? glad you enjoyed it's, there are several Basils so it's a, it's a, a Basil Sybil and Manuel and we uh, it's like being in a Fawlty Towers restaurant and so we're the three of us are kind of served a three-course dinner, but also sort of doing the best bits from the original TV series, plus a lot of ad-libbing and uh, original stuff as well. So it's uh, it's toured quite a few countries. Uh, and Kate, you uh, you were oh, instrumental well. in bringing it to uh, Gibraltar. I was, yeah, and it was brilliant. Yeah, really good. Ben, oh, um, obviously yeah. you're playing Basil Fawlty. Ben has the most incredible ability to mimic. British bad guys um, to the extent that ever since I'm a teenager I have had answer phone messages on behalf of Ben um, that he's oh recorded for God. me in the guise of certain British bad guys. Ben do you want to give everyone um, a an answer phone message for the coronavirus who are you going to be? Oh let's do a little bit of Alan Rickman shall we seeing as uh, you know is no longer with us he's uh... yeah let's a bit of it. Alan in or a bit of Hanley. Let's do Alan first, in tribute to Alan. All right. Well, then, I'm currently holed up at uh, Nakatomi Plaza with Mrs. McLean and uh, other hostages. 
Sadly, a virus has interfered with my plans, and so have you. Do not call this number again, or you will face <laughs> severe consequences. Thank you so much. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All right, do John Cleese for people as well. Let's have a different one. All right, could you, uh, Manuel, could you just, just a step more than uh, two metres away? I mean, two metres is bad enough already. I mean, thank you so much. Honestly. God, God knows how they got an armada together. Just keep away, please. Thank you. I'm so sorry about him. He's from Barcelona. <laughs> Harrowing human being. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. He also does Christopher mm -hmm. Lee, Ian McKellen. He could do the entire of the first Lord of the Rings on his own, basically. Um, so, yeah, this is one of Ben's many, many talents. But he is also a fantastic. Put marks and masks on. <laughs> he is. Um, a fantastic historian as well and in so firstly Alina unfortunately in the field of maritime history as well that's where we know each other from I've got another one of my boat people to the pub uh, but he's not here to argue for a boat person today it's another passion of his and he's given many many tours on this in London Ben tell everyone who you're going to argue for well I'm gonna my guy and uh, we're gonna assume it is a guy is uh, was recently voted the worst Briton uh, he is the, I can think you can guess where I'm going with this one, he's the slasher of Spitalfields himself, that is Jack the Ripper. Now, um, somebody was talking about perverts and, and the lack thereof, well he certainly qualifies on that score. And what, what, what you'll notice about the previous candidates is that, yes, some of them were sort of, you know, had the best of intentions going into it like Mr. Wright for instance uh, you know they, they, they didn't perhaps envisage the consequences of what they were doing and you know even going back to admittedly horrible people like uh, Vlad you know a lot of um, what they were motivated by were things like sort of you know deterring political opponents things like that in Jack's case there's no question of any of that there were no good intentions no kind of end justifies the means any of that nonsense this was deliberate this was pure kicks this was doing it for sadosexual uh, gratification uh and he did so preying on the most vulnerable uh, members of society and and what he did i mean obviously there have been you know in terms of his post-mortem activity i mean that's 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 you know it was eviscerations um, mutilations and I just I just think I mean you know it, it, we can argue you know ad infinitum about the definition of kind of pure evil but I think where he stands out um, compared to the other candidates oh my competitive streaks coming out is that he, <laughs> you know that, that there was that there was none of that you know he was never sort of wholesome there was never kind of you know in in, in targeting um, the prostitutes um, the easily um, accessible um, for, for his intentions. Um, there, 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 there was no question that any of it was motivated good at any point. It was, it was as the no shades of gray, it's as black as black can be. Uh, so that's why he gets my vote. Old Jackie boy, nasty little bastard. Indeed, Johnny? Um, I think it's very well put across in the sense that the, 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 his intentions were just pure evil. There was there mm. was no there was no good intention. There was there was nothing 
but there was nothing else about it other than yeah pure pure self-gratification mm. and evil um do you do you not think he's been sort of elevated to this sort of mythical status because there there is there is no there is no conclusion to it there's no solution we are a hundred yes, something do. years down the line just still talking about it because there is no answer exactly no i i I totally agree. When I say, when I, I should clarify that when I say um, that my candidate is Jack the Ripper, I'm that generally is an encompassing term to include, you know, people who do you know, serial killers, mm. uh, who target the vulnerable, uh, murdering them for their own kick. So, for example, you know, the, you know, Andre Chikatilo, Peter Sutcliffe, Arthur Shawcross. Uh, Gary Ridgway, all those would kind of be inclu- included, but Jack the Ripper, because he's the most kind of famous, uh, and uh, and in terms of his sort of post-mortal, post-mortem activity, was the most expen- was the most extensive and the most grotesque. Then you know I, I sort of used him as the sort of the, the, the prototype sort of thing, but mm. generally, well, I'm, I'm referring more more to a type than to an individual, I'd say. Okay. No, understood. It's probably cheating. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, I, I kind of get, I get where you're going. It's it's a rep- representation of evil. Yes. Holmes. Yeah, I mean, in a way, aren't, aren't they all that? But um, I guess the the issue with Jack the Ripper is that I, I think you know culturally we've become a bit desensitised to him and um, the terrible thing that he did and the terrible fear that he must have instilled yes. in the residents of Whitechapel at the time. In that you know. In, in say a hundred years' time, would the equivalent of Ben be dressing up as Harold Shipman and leading tours around Hive, for example? I guess That's probably it. not. <laughs> probably if you paid him enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, He's got I, a no, Scotch exactly. habit to fund. Has he has he practiced a Harold Shipman accent? <laughs> I, I'm growing I'm growing a beard, so I'm getting there. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm halfway there. But <laughs> In a way, that shows it's quite odd with Jack the Ripper that we don't have the revulsion that perhaps we should have, given yes. what he did. Um, but in terms of if we're looking at history's nastiest villain, I mean, the, the death count, if one can be so simplistic, is quite low, although what he did do was horrific. And I don't know yeah. how far... I don't, we, we're taking a very Anglo-centric view of this. I don't know how far his reputation has spread. I imagine it might have spread quite far, but... You know, we're all aware of Vlad the Impaler, for example, and Rosebeer, and I guess most people yes. would be. Whereas I, I just don't know with Jack the Ripper. I may be wrong. Well, I think I think with people like uh, 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 Vlad, they they're they're capable uh, of killing a great many people because of their position of power. And one could argue that uh, if if Jack the Ripper had had sort of free reign. Then, uh, then you know, it's obviously speculation, but uh, it, it, I think it was only his limited resources that would have hindered him from uh, from from claiming many more lives and, and 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 doing what he did to five or six prostitutes, you know, ten times over. I think I think it was just sort of you know transport, you know, and the fact that he was not in a position he was he, he wasn't a sort of world leader or anything like that. So I think that would so I, you know I would personally argue that 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 death count might not be the best um, barometer of, of of sort of evil in that sense. I think that's but, a really uh, good point. Actually, yeah. it might not be about how many people you killed. Yes, yes, because you know one could always argue that uh, had had he had free reign, it's like you know just uh, you, Jack the Ripper, you know, in charge of you know, the Women's Institute or whatever, you know, he could just, you know, 
<laughs> just just let rip let yeah. rip quite if, if he gets that far they need to look at their processes i'd have said yes exactly <laughs> we're back to the uh, criteria for a white star line officer from last week aren't we <laughs> <laughs> how many of them hit things ben um if yeah. you had to pick a candidate who's your i think i know this because we tried to find the guy didn't we who was your favorite candidate we did. Well, my favourite candidate, the one I think is most likely, uh, the best of a bad bunch, is a man called George Hutchinson. Now, Hutchinson is known to most students of the case uh, as a witness. Uh, he came forward three days after the murder, uh, immediately after the close of the public inquest, with a, an extraordinary tale. Uh, he told Inspector Abeline that he'd seen Mary Kelly, which was the most, you know, brutally murdered of all the victims, and, and some consider the last. Uh, and he saw him with a, uh, he gave an extraordinary description of a man seen in Kelly's company on the last night, uh, you know, on, on the night of her death, you know, just hours before the accepted time of the murder. Um, now, some have suggested that he was motivated into coming forward with this bogus tale because he was in pursuit of money or publicity. And there were so many bogus, you know, witnesses, non-legit people that would sort of uh, thwart the case because they're after a, after a bit of a, you know, a quick, quick buck. But uh, I contend that he realised he'd been seen at a crime scene. He was seen loitering outside Kelly's house. Uh, there was a witness at the inquest called Sarah Lewis, and she described a man uh, uh, wearing a wide awake hat, which is a hat with a wide brim, wearing dark clothes, just kind of standing opposite the entrance to Miller's Court. Yeah. And, he, and he seemed to be waiting for someone to come out. And what an interesting coincidence is that as soon as the inquest closed, Hutchinson comes forward and goes, oh, yes, I was standing there and I was waiting for this scary looking man to come out. So here we have a suspect who uh, was seen at the crime scene and lied about his reasons for being there, um, you know, as, as soon as he realised he'd been seen. So at least, unlike other suspects, there's a physical link, uh, and, it's a, and it's a potentially incriminating one. And in, in addition to which, he lived in the very heart of the murder district, uh, at the Victoria Home for Working Men, which is right at the sort of epicentre uh, of where it all happens. He sort of fit the eyewitness descriptions, which was not of a man in a top hat and a, and a cape and all the rest of it, but of a, an ostensibly sort of shabby local labourer. So, uh, yeah, I mean, long way to go, yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still, you know, in terms of evidence, it's, 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 it's nothing in the scheme of things, but it's certainly, I'd argue, the best of a, best of a bad bunch. You I think also, in, in terms of the... And there was sort of really sensational news reporting. Yes. Oh, that's it. Absolutely. And also you had the, uh, the letters that were entitled Dear Boss and all that, and, and that obviously gave him the title of Jack the Rip. Now, those letters are uh, they're, they're most probably a hoax. Uh, the one that says, dear boss, you know, that you will not catch me until I do get buckled and all that kind of stuff. And it's signed, dear boss, it says, yours truly, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Now, that was most probably written by a member of Central News, but that certainly was, instru that was instrumental in sort of uh, elevating Jack's profile as a sort of, sort of press sensation. But also, so, wasn't there a, a postcard on the night of the double murder? The, the, the overnight or early in the morning, there was a postcard that was leaked to the newswires. That's right. That, that, yeah, that, 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 there's that one. And, and there's contention over whether that predated knowledge of the, uh, of, of, of the murder. Did it, did it contain 
information that only the murderer knew. Now, what's interesting... Well, it did. I mean, when I looked at that earlier today, my first thought was that someone in the police has leaked up for money, but I may be wrong. Which, which is possible. But the, the, interestingly, in talking, speaking of the correspondence, the one that's most popularly considered uh, a legitimate correspondence from the Ripper is the one that was accompanied by a piece of kidney. Uh, and uh, that, that, that is the one that most researchers consider um, the most likely correspondence from the actual Ripper, because it wasn't addressed to the, anyone in sort of a position of any great seniority, not the head of the central news or the police. It was sent to the, the head of the um, local vigilance committee, a guy called George Lusk. And uh, it just has, pe people just think it has an air of, 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 of potential authenticity to it, which is at least greater than, than the sort of dear boss correspondence, which most people think now nah, that's, that's, that's that's a journalist at work. That's what but, do you know what uh, we should do? We should get together you and like four or five others who favour different candidates and have a Jack the Ripper show as well. I think that would be really good. Um, ben, yeah, I think so. <laughs> ben slash well. John slash Alan, thank you so much for your input. <laughs> Stay with us. Um, and if you can think of any <laughs> more answer phone messages, we'll do them before the end of the show. Uh, let's move on mm. to... Oh, okay. So you may be wondering where the hell Alina is tonight. Alina is here. She's running around after a dog who's just had its bladder drained. But Alina is here. And the reason she's not introducing this with me is because she's part of our panel tonight. Um, so Alina is obviously a World War II historian, specifically a concentration camp specialist. So she has hundreds of candidates. Um, Alina, who have you picked? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, in all honesty, I've sat and agonised about this for days. Because um, I could have gone with Marie Mandel, Issa Koch, Gerha Parish, Irma Grace, Rudolf Hess, Ernest Krankerman, Amon Gott, Otto Mott. I can go on. I can actually oh. just go on. And I just, I decided that I'm not going to choose an SS man. I'm not going to choose a high-ranking officer. I'm going to go down to the bottom. And um, I'm going to introduce to you my favourite. He's not my favourite. He's a brutal, horrible bastard. Um, and his name is Bruno Brodniewicz. <clears throat> Do not be fooled. He may have a Polish surname, but he's not Polish. So let me introduce and talk to you about him. So he was born in Poznań, former Poland. He could speak German and Polish. He was imprisoned in 1934. He ended up in Konzentratzenslager Sachsenhausen. 
and then he came to Auschwitz on the 20th of May 1940. He arrived with 29 other prisoners and they were to become the first capo of Auschwitz. According to Huss, he states that they were hand-chosen for their brutality by Gerhard Palisch, who again himself was a horrible, horrible, brutal, sadistic man. He ended up receiving the number one, and you'll understand a little bit why he got the number one. Um, he was the number one bastard in this camp. Uh, they called him Black Death. That's because wherever he went, he brought death with him. He hated Poles so much that it's what made him a great capo. Like, he detested Polish people. But not only did he detest Polish people, he hated Jews, he hated priests, and he would, whenever he could find a Jew or a priest, he would torture them endlessly. For example, um, the coppers lined up under a tree and forced the priests to climb this tree, basically, and just stood there and laughed as they couldn't get up there or they fell. Um, they... His favourite game, I'm, I'm really, I don't know why I'm telling you about him, he's so sadistic. His favourite game was to work prisoners to the point of exhaustion. Then he'd take a shovel, he'd lay it across their neck, stand on either side and rock, basically, till the neck broke. Um, his other favourite game was with his fellow sadistic capo, Leo Vichorek who, by the way, you, he was um, eliminated by, by, the, by the Poles in, in the campus with a different story, different um, capo. But what they did was they ended up lining up Polish prisoners in front of them, and they were taking turns to punch them. If a prisoner fell, it's a point. If a prisoner didn't fall, that's not a point. But it doesn't matter because they kicked the shit out of this, the, the prisoners anyway, uh, to the point of... of basically death. Why he's actually one of the most mentioned Carpo in memoirs and testimonies, pretty much nearly every prisoner will mention him. You'll be glad to know that uh, at the end of 1942, he was actually caught hiding valuables, uh, all because of a note that was left after an escape, dubbing him in uh, by Okokuzo, who described him as uh, an extremely brutal man. He ended up in the bunker, which is block 11 for people that don't know, uh, three times. Each time he was basically able to go back to his duties. He was friends with Gerhard Palisch and a lot of the high-ranking SS, so pretty much he got his own way. The downside is we don't know 100% what happened to him. We just know that he didn't survive the war. There are rumours that he was beaten to death on a train to Bergen-Belsen. There are prisoners that say he was in Bergen-Belsen and they basically, after liberation, lynched him. So we will never quite know what happened to him. And hit me with your questions, gentlemen. I can go first, Johnny. So, uh, Alina, in terms of capos generally, they were prisoners as well. They were usually criminals, weren't they? And they were used to sort of discipline and, uh, and sort of manage the working groups, as I understand it. Is that right? 
yes and no. So the first 30 were criminals um, and through the first year, approximately year, they would have been brought in. Um, however, they were Polish, they were Jewish, they were Russian, they were political prisoners. It is not simply as black and white, it's an extremely, extremely grey area. If, if we accept the position that everybody had to do what they needed to do in those dreadful places to survive, they were more extreme in that there were other prisoners who helped out with the unloading. You had the sort of Sonic Commando as well. And they would, they would occasionally help people. You know, you see examples on the TV, it may even be in Shinder's list, where they tell someone to just, you know, say, say yours, that you've got this skill and go to this side and that type of thing. Did the, Sonic, did the um, Capos do anything like that? Yeah, so I've got, um, there's, I've got some, and this is probably going to end up being a book of mine, because uh, I'm absolutely fascinated by cupping myself. Um, I've got a couple of prisoners that were cupping, and they used their position to help other prisoners. But then there were a couple who just were sadistic, and they enjoyed it. And they didn't help, they helped themselves more than anything. Yeah, would it be fair to say that most capos were sadists? And the ones that help were the exception in these circumstances. Mm, again, quite a great area. Uh, there was, I can't remember the guy's name. I think he was from Dahal. And Nick, if he's listening to this, Nicholas Vashman, do not kill me because I'm going to get this completely and utterly wrong. Um, he was actually incredibly brutal, but... They actually didn't end up convicting him after the war because he ended up saving lives through his brutality. So it, it is really difficult to, to, to say yes to that question. And then how, how protected were they from the other prisoners? From the other prisoners, you did not want to lose your status as a capo because there the prisoners would get you and that's it. That will be the end of you. Okay, Johnny. Any questions? Yeah, I mean, I mean that. I mean that last one's an interesting point because it, it's kind of it, it's all it's almost evil begat begats evil in in the sense that if you fell out of favour with the, the, the prison, the, the the guards and you know the, the authority, you you were basically screwed. So you just had to keep doing what you were doing, and. I'm sort of intrigued as to how you you were initially picked out as a capo. What what was the process, or if if indeed there was a process at all? Sometimes there wasn't a process. Sometimes it was here you go, you are a capo. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Um, the German capo were like I said, they were hand chosen. This specific group were hand chosen uh, and brought in as the first capo, and um, they. They had they had a they had a choice because they were German. The Germans are not going to kill their their own people. It didn't happen. That's why, mm. for example, Brodniewicz ended up in the bunker three times, and then he got out and he was a capo again. If you were Polish, forget it. They're going to end you. If you were Jewish, they were going to end you. Um, if you were Soviet or anything, they were going to end you. But if you were German, you knew you were going to be safe. Okay. Let's move on. Um, I mean, undoubtedly, we, we had to have Holocaust representation 
um, on here, but it's just not something to jest about. Um, let's move on mm. to, oh, I'm really excited. Rebecca Riddell's here. Is it Riddell, like David Baddiel, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Rebecca is awesome. She's a historian, producer, journalist, all-round 21st century philosopher and author of 1666, Plague, War and Hellfire. And you've got another book you've done as well or are doing, isn't there? Doing it. It's going on forever. You know what it's like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially in these circumstances. How's life under lockdown? It's all right. It's okay. I mean, you, you know. As well as I do, being a writer, it's kind of normal. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Tell everyone who you've gone for, for the nastiest villain in history. Okay, so I feel a bit, um, I feel like I haven't probably put in as much effort as everyone else because my villain is just someone that pisses me off. Um, <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> rather than having like a wider, well, he has had a wider impact, but some would argue that's in a good way. So it's John Bunyan, the um, author of The Pilgrim's Progress. He's my, <laughs> he's my villain. Um, Why does he like, piss you off? Well, it's for personal reasons, really, primarily. So he was a Puritan in the 17th century, um, which, you know, we know how much fun they used to have. Um, <laughs> and he, during the, well, he joined the Parliamentary Army. That's fine. I probably would have done that myself in his shoes. Retired after a couple of battles to become a tinker. Again, fine, you know, he was a man, he could do that. Um, then he became a bit more interested in religion when he was a little bit older. Married a woman, had four children with her. Again, absolutely fine. One of the children had a disability. She was blind and um, needed extra care. Again, absolutely fine. But the problem with John Bunyan was he wasn't really bothered about anybody else apart from himself and his journey to God. Um, so when his wife died, he mar at the age of 31, 32, he married a young girl who was 18 and basically got her to look after all of his kids got himself arrested after the restoration for preaching as a Puritan. Um, and all he needed to do after he'd been in prison for three months was to say that he wouldn't preach anymore. I mean, he could have still done it, that's fine. All he needed to do was say that he wouldn't preach, but he refused to do it and he was exceptional in refusing to do this. So instead of just serving three months in prison, he was there for 12 years. <laughs> And while he was in prison, this 18-year-old girl was looking after his four kids in absolute poverty. So, total prick. He does sound like a complete wanker. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why. He's the ultimate sanctimonious nod, and he's my choice. <laughs> I quite like it. Johnny? Um, I, I mean, the, the initial reaction is just twat I, it, it's there's, there's literally nothing more to say about the man um i, I mean i remember doing pilgrim's progress briefly at school and it, i found it quite boring um i mean what what was what's his background before all of this if you could explain a little bit better because i, I literally know nothing about the man whatsoever and um, he was just i mean wasn't, he wasn't from a particularly wealthy family. He was just a man of the time and somebody that was swept up in all of the events that happened. And there were a lot, to be fair, there was a lot of stuff going on in the middle of the 17th century. So we had- I only wanted more. to say thank you, sir, glasses, glasses case. Hello? Hello, yeah, sorry. That's fine, um, but he was, um, 
yeah, he he was caught up in all these events. Um, and then when it came to the restoration, Charles II, who people believed would be a bit more tolerant of those um, that were called non-conformists who didn't um, adhere to the main religion, he actually wasn't um, and clamped down on meetings between um, people that were non-conformists. So, I mean, that's, he lived a life that kind of was threaded through all of these events, being part of the Civil War and then um, remaining a Puritan into the Restoration. But I mean, it wasn't a particularly remarkable life before he mm. wrote Pilgrim's Progress. So he, it sounds like he was sort of a product of his times. I don't, he was, but he just, with his religious views and his um, stubborn mindedness, I do think he was unique. But I do think we get people like this all the time. And we've all met people like this in our daily life, I'm sure, that just, they're always right and they don't bend. Mm. Has <laughs> so he got um, a bit of a Thomas More complex going on as well? Is he sitting there in prison refusing to just bloody say what he's got to say? and get on with his life yes yes he has because i hate thomas more for basically the same reason because he's a sanctimonious twat who um goes to get his head lopped off on the basis that he won't fucking swear to henry's supremacy but he doesn't mind burning people at the stake and torturing them and playing them alive or whatever he did is he a bit like that it's a bit like that, but the, the difference is, um, obviously religion, the, the way people believe in religion has evolved over time, and in the um, late medieval, early modern period, which is kind of what where Thomas More sits, I mean, people would argue it's the early modern rather than medieval, but in, in any case, life, your mortal life was just part of your longer life, which would include your journey to heaven, hell, or purgatory, or wherever you, were, you thought you were going to go. So you can kind of understand... In a way, I, I can understand if you've got these really um, deeply entrenched views and beliefs, you're fighting against your very, you know, where your soul is going to go afterwards. So I can kind of see that. But for me, the, the killer um, aspect of of Bunyan is the fact that he's got he's got this poor young wife and four kids that he just literally leaves. <laughs> for poverty and I just think that's just so horrible when you're supposed to be a Christian in all of this so yeah I, I can ramble on about um Bunyan for a long while I can distinctly hear someone taking the cork out of a wine bottle somewhere else on this call <laughs> <laughs> who is it it's got to be Clive surely Clive no Clive's on mute that, no I think that might have been me I think that was my squeaky whiskey bottle yeah uh, <laughs> guilty Guilty as charged. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Emma. Let's move on to Emma. Um, thank you so much, Rebecca. I agree with you. He's a total wanker. Um, Emma Southern is an ancient historian and author. Um, she wrote Agrippina the Younger, the first proper empress of Rome, a, a book about her. And her new book is nearly out and sounds just brilliant. A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, A Study of Murder in Ancient Rome. And she also hosts her own History is Sexy podcast with Janina Mathewson. Emma, hi. Hi. Get, um, you must have some real candidates for bastard of history in the Roman era. I did. And I went through a few before I decided on the one that I decided. I was considering Nero, who is the obvious one, because um, yeah. even like there's no source in the entire world which there's anything nice about Nero ever. Um, and then I thought maybe Crassus, because he was 
a bastard. Um, but I came down on one who just, I have a kind of personal crusade to make people like him less. Okay. So, um, and people like him too much as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I've come down on the Colossus that bestrides the narrow world, Julius Caesar, um, who Ooh. I think fits every possible criteria for horrible world villain in that he does terrible sadistic things. He doesn't have any good motivations for any of it other than his own power and his own glory. Um, and he eventually fucks it up really badly and he kills millions of people, millions of people. Um, okay. Well, you have a captive audience now to explain <laughs> why yeah. Julius Caesar is a complete bastard. So go, tell us. Okay, so from the beginning, uh, every political position that he ever got, he got through bribery um, and illegal means. Um, everything from bribery to literally beating people up in the street who wouldn't say that they would vote for him. Um, or by threatening people with a big sword. He um, divorced one of his wives just because a man got into a house, um, uh, which was nothing to do with her and was probably quite frightening, but she, he divorced her anyway. Um, he was part of an illegal and unethical triumvirate, which uh, carved up Roman power and ruled it so that they could, the three of them could just please themselves, basically, and bollocks to everybody else. Um, but the worst thing that he really did was all of his foreign campaigns, which were appalling and have been on multiple occasions compared to um, the impact that the uh, old world had on the new world when it arrived there. He devastated continental Europe, basically. He first went into Spain and as uh, governor of uh, further Spain, as it's called, um, just absolutely brutalised the entire place. He waged illegal battles against basically anyone who looked at him, regardless of whether they looked at him funny or not, um, and did that purely so that he could pay his own debts because he had paid such enormous bribes to get his positions that he needed money to pay his own debts. Um, he then coerced the Roman Senate into letting him have not one, not two, but three provinces um, to rule under his own auspices, uh, which is far too many provinces for one man to have. Um, he had Transalpine Gaul, Cisalpine Gaul and Illyricum, and he devastated them. The Gallic Wars are estimated to have killed a million and a half people, not including Romans. Um, and you've probably got another 50,000 or so Romans on top of that. But a million and a half people, a further million people were enslaved and taken back to Rome or enslaved as um, to the soldiers themselves. So that's two and a half million people who are completely devastated. He destroyed 800 towns and cities across Gaul um, and did, now when I say destroyed I mean punitively for no good reason just destroyed them because he could but the worst thing he did right at the very end um, of his war in Gaul was uh, the battle or the siege of Elysia which was a town um, where uh, Versaginatrix was hiding um, or was holed up there's 80,000 people in there plus all of the people that he um that lived there already, so maybe 100,000 people. Um, he besieged it and then 
quite cleverly to be fair built himself a second uh, like a kind of besieged himself essentially built fortifications around his position leaving a dead zone and no man's land in between his walls and the city walls um when the people inside the city began to run out of food they did what um people who are in sieges usually do which is that they sent out their women and children and sick um and hoped that they would be given safe passage out that they would be allowed to leave the theatre of war, basically. Um, but what Julius Caesar did was he barricaded them in, into that no man's land, and watched them starve to death. He watched about 20,000 people die, just starve to death in that little no man's land between them. Um, and once that basically horrified everybody um, and forced a war, uh, forced an open battle, he then absolutely devastated the city. Um, he then turned around and said to the Romans, um, I did this, I'd like to come back and have a triumph and be a consul, please. And they said, well, we'd quite like to prosecute you for what was definitely an illegal war and all the other illegal things you did. And he said, no, thank you. I'm coming with my army. And then ran roughshod over Italy, ran roughshod over everybody else, devastated everybody, um, turned around and said, hello, I'm dictator now. Now I am perpetual dictator. Now I have given myself all of these glorious things. Uh, he gave himself a shiny throne. He built temples to himself. He built temples to his family. He set up a priesthood to himself. Um, he gave himself special rights to ride a horse when no one else could. He wore shiny red boots, which really annoyed everybody. Um, <laughs> and then set up this ridiculous thing where um, people tried to crown him, which didn't go very well. Uh, and eventually people had to get rid of him because he was ruthless. He was only interested in himself. He named a month after himself. His, all of his major um, kind of reforms that he enacted were just about making it so that everybody was focused on him and nobody else. He was a, a bastard of the highest order. What a complete wanker i had no idea he was this much of an asshole johnny did you horrible he's horrible i have to say i it's it, it, it that, that was an education thank you very much Emma. that was that was very very interesting um i think broadly my my, my question was it, again it's product of the time seeing in the sense that i suspect most most of his competition was doing roughly the same thing he was just doing it better than anyone else i mean um, his competition were quite bad but like in terms of both body count and the the sheer like the reason he won is because he did it more horribly than everybody else and nobody I'm, else has I the, mean, that is blatantly villainous sadistic. soul to do it <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean that is blatantly sadistic watching twenty thousand people just starve to death in front of you and the most vulnerable mm. people as well yeah, like little babies and the sick and the elderly. And he was just like, nah, don't want to. Right, let's get, hang on. Were there any, just for the sake of Johnny's wife, because she can sort him out if he doesn't go the right way with you, were any donkeys harmed in the making of this seat? <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you want to know my, like the thing that I always tell people about the Romans whenever anyone tries to be nice about them, because I love them, but part of the reason I love them is that they're horrible, is that every year they had a festival where they crucified two dogs and made some ducks watch. Oh man! That's, yeah, I know. Oh, that, that's a bit brutal. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> only, only there's only sort of kind of one question in terms of him. Why do we know more about season? Anyone? You've, you've detailed perfectly why he is a complete and utter shit. But there were clearly lots of other complete and utter shits around at the yeah. time. How, how do we know more about season? Why is his name 
more associated with that Roman era than anything else. Johnny, Johnny purely it's because of Carry On Cleo, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> um, Carry On yeah. Cleo aside. <laughs> it's Carry On Cleo. Um, he, there's two reasons. One, he wrote a lot um, and wrote some very good propaganda about himself in which he referred to himself in the third person, which is really annoying. Oh, that's always um, the sign of a total wanker, isn't it? Someone it who talks is. about themselves in the third person. Just absolutely piss off. Um, and also because he he sort of won um because largely mm. because of his uh grand great nephew um octavian but um and also because cicero wrote a lot and cicero really hated him so <laughs> cicero okay. wrote a lot about how and much he hated him and all of that survived which is really it is, it is it is an interesting point in the sense that but i've just read um, a book called the faces of battle um and it, it talks about historiography and how history is recorded and it cites caesar as, as an example of, of self-aggrandizing mm-hmm nonsense basically he is a he does very good at self-aggrandizing nonsense and everything he does is always the best thing that ever happened um it sounds like donald trump it's the trump of his day isn't it yeah that's <laughs> you'd know I, there were people who react to um light sister who react to caesar in the way that people react to donald trump now like they just cannot believe that this man this absolute horrible man <laughs> <laughs> has all of this power and has built all of these shiny he built golden statues of himself and then put them amongst the gods and the, like ancient kings ronaldo's like, done that cristiano ronaldo's got a golden <laughs> statue he had a no i shit you not he had a plaster mm. class of his own naked body made and then had it cast in i don't know nine carat gold and had like precious stones for eyeballs <laughs> and it's in his house i, I assume as, a, as a, a roman leader he had some form of incestuous relationship along the way uh, I don't think he did, you know. He was definitely a shagger, but <laughs> less incestuous than you'd think. Well, that's one in the plus column for me, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, He's got I that going on. So far, for me, Julius Caesar's winning because I've just been completely schooled in what a wanger he was. Uh, right, so <laughs> you let's see, get I think a... he's got everything. I think he really I think does. he's got everything. Yeah. But I'm about to bring you someone who has even more. I bring you... Mel Gibson. He is England's <laughs> biggest enemy. He's trashed us in the 13th century, the American Revolutionary Wars, at Gallipoli. But in fairness, I didn't come down with him in the end because I used to be offended, but now he's sort of been outed as a rampant anti-Semite chauvinist asshole who looks like Saddam Hussein. I don't really care so much what he thinks of us. So um, I said I would take the high-ranking Nazis off of Alina's hand so that she could uh, have more freedom to find a, a bastard in her field so i mean i i will put forward adolf eichmann i mean i hardly need to stay in case do i mm-hmm. big nazi architect of the final solution escapes eventually gets to argentina where Mossad come in to, over the government's head basically bonk him over the noggin and drag him to israel where he stands trial and this of all things this televised trial is why i believe he's the biggest piece of shit known to history so We went to see an exhibition at the Jewish Museum in Manhattan in 2018. And that had been much supported with artifacts and exhibits from Mossad uh, relating to his capture. And the last thing in this exhibition was a recreation of this courtroom where they televised this trial. And they had created, uh, it was essentially like a little uh, greenhouse box in the middle that he sat in for the whole trial. It was, I think it was bulletproof glass and stuff. Um, And they played footage of the trial um, and the footage of him was constantly in the box as well. Um, And they were showing witnesses 
witnesses. And I remember one witness was talking about how um, it was his job. Um, he, so he was a Jew um, and it was his job every day to open the back of the van after they'd finished gassing people and take the bodies out and get rid of the bodies. And um, this man is standing there telling the story of how one day he opened the back of this van and he saw his wife and daughter in the van um, and that they'd been killed. Um, and the footage of him in this box, which ran all the way through, there was no reaction at all to any of this. There was not a flicker of remorse. There was no indication that there was a shred of humanity existing anywhere in him. Um, he could not have cared less. He just sat there chewing on his lip. And, and this is a man responsible for the death of millions. So I know you can argue for Hitler or Himmler or any of the others and picking a bastard out of the Nazi hierarchy is like an abundance of riches. But for me, it's him. And I actually, do you know, what? I don't want him to win tonight. Um, and this is the reason I'll talk about Elizabeth Battery in a minute, because he's that repulsive that I absolutely don't want to design a cocktail based on him. Um, <laughs> don't ask me any questions, because I literally got that off Wikipedia. Uh, Elizabeth Battery. <laughs> you know, the stuff can, we, can we, can we, um, <laughs> can we say that he's won, but then immediately disqualify him on the grounds that he's an absolute nightmare of a man, and then that opens up the field for everybody else? Yeah, I mean, I think we need hardly say that Adolf Eichmann is one of the most disgusting people who ever walked the planet. But the fact that mm. there's no humanity in him, and I don't think he was even human, let's fuck him off because he doesn't. I, I, I'm not designing a cocktail based on him. Like I said, it would have to have bleach in it, um, and it's no fun. And ultimately, we are here to entertain people. We can all agree that Adolf Eichmann is a tosser, and we hate him, and we're glad that they hung God. the bastard. Um, Elizabeth Battery. So this one's great because this is many uh, Hungarian noblewoman who lived in the 16th slash 17th century. Um, I thought we had to have a woman. So she's down as the most prolific female serial killer in history, even though you can't actually give a firm number of how many people she offed. This is how bad she is. There's that many. So not only with the killing, but she loved torturing people too. So it could have been as many as 650 women and girls, as young as 10 in a 20-year span, um, but there are hundreds of survivors too. Um, <coughs> sadistic doesn't even begin to cover it. Most common accusations include severe beatings, burning or mutilation of their hands, biting the flesh off their faces, arms, and other body parts, freezing them or starving them to death, using needles to torture them. Girls were burned with hot tongs and immediately dunked in freezing cold water. Uh, they were also covered in honey and live ants. She was also suspected of cannibalism. There's some vampire law too, which you hardly need to make the case um, because it's a bit out there and it came many many years after she was uh, caught and died um, but she was supposed to have bathed in the blood of virgins to try and keep looking young uh, she's partly apparently partly the inspiration for Dracula as well as Vlad the Impaler um, uh, this happened all over Central Europe and in the end naturally the law caught up with her because too many people were disappearing she escaped execution because of her status um, the sort of tale is that her family bricks her up in a cell in a Slovakian castle and let her have at it but actually there's rather a lot of eyewitness accounts from priests that later visited to say that she actually could just wander around the castle as she pleased um, but I think she's a candidate for the nastiest villain in history can I interrupt about Elizabeth? Absolutely, Bathory, yeah. I did a thing about her. And of one of the interesting things about her is that there's all of this stuff that's quoted of like, oh, there were 230 witnesses and things, but almost all of them were her serfs and 220 of them all say, I don't know, I never saw anything. Um, and there's a kind of theory that it was all made up by a relative of hers who wanted her house. Um, and I did so, see that, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I did see that that was, but I kind of put it down to being a nonsense conspiracy theory just because I like there the is... idea that she's having a woman <laughs> on the list. So I thought, bugger it, I'm going to put her in anyway. Go I for have it. to say the stuff that I read wasn't that convincing in terms of following due process. I think everyone, everyone who I gave mean, no, as a trial. at the trial, mm. Uh, nobody saw her do anything directly. It was all uh, what they, what other people had told them they'd seen her do, which I think we're going to apply the rule of law. <laughs> and those, those that, you know, history is written by the victors, etc. And Because she, she ended up being killed, didn't she? No, she died. She just died in her castle. She complained of, not, of having cold hands and then went to bed and didn't wake up or something stupid like that. The, um, the, th- the, th- the thing that stood out for me just... Obviously, we're in we're in realms of Wikipedia and all the rest of it. But approximately four and a half thousand guests were invited to the wedding. That's just showing off. I mean, <laughs> just really not necessary. Are, are you inviting dead relatives as well? That's just lunacy. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think Debenhams has got four and a half thousand items in for the wedding list, has it? No, exactly. I mean, how could you deal with it? It's just madness. Um, but it, it does it does seem to me like there were there was sort of elements of political conspiracy about it um an intriguing thing to read more about but um yeah she sounded quite unpleasant i mean let's go uh, let's give you two a couple of uh, minutes to converse via whatsapp or whatever you're doing to try and select a winner i'll go around the the virtual room because we aren't breaking any laws here guys if you i'll take you one at a time but if you couldn't have the person you argued for who else has won your vote tonight so let's start with kate uh put me on the spot <laughs> yeah yeah no, uh, no pressure <laughs> um i was surprised by julius caesar i didn't know that um but i would have to pick elizabeth bathory because she was my second choice had i thought about what i was saying before i said robespierre no worries james uh, firstly an apology for the sound interruption earlier that was unexpected um <laughs> that yeah I'm actually going to go with Emma's choice here. I am going to go with Caesar because I was taught by Miles Russell. So a bit of bias <laughs> there. So, but yeah, Caesar would be my choice if I couldn't choose mine. Clive, I know you cannot stand to put forward anyone but your guy, but if you had to. I would have to go with Julius Caesar primarily because of the years that I endured of having to translate De Bello Gallici. <laughs> as good a reason as any yeah fair enough yeah Joe, I'm, I'm giving you my vote as well emma uh ben thank you well i'm torn between uh eichmann who you know i've read up on extensively uh and but also i'm i'm, I'm particularly repulsed by what i hear about this uh the, the, the capo i forget the, the the one with an unpronounceable surname um Brody hearing a yeah. Yes. It, hearing that the descriptions of, of, of his methods of torture, uh, yeah, he's he, of, of all the candidates I've heard so far, he easy, this guy easily gets my vote. And Rebecca? If it wasn't. Well, obviously I'm disappointed that nobody has chosen John Bunyan um, because he would definitely hate a cocktail the most. But... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I'll design a really, really horrible cocktail that tastes like shit and name that after him. Does that make you happy? No, you should just 
certainly a really nice one because then he would like it, but then he would probably chastise himself for liking it and be tormented for his whole life. Ooh, so that's it's either that or get the dregs of the bar, like the fucking Galliano and the bits of shambord that have been hanging around for like 12 <laughs> years and throw them all in a glass and name them after him and it tastes like piss. But I like your theory too. <laughs> but if you can't have him? I'm going to go with one of the two vampire people and I don't think Bathory committed all the murders that we think she did because the mythology mm-hmm. surrounding, surrounding her emerged in the early 18th century when people started becoming tested in vampires. So it's interesting that there's a correlation between the two. And the word vampire first entered the English language in the early 18th century as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. Okay, Alina? I'm torn between Vlad the Impaler and Jack the Ripper only because I've had an unhealthy obsession with Jack the Ripper since I was um, a wee snapper. So, um, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. Emma. (laughs) Emma? (laughs) I'm kind of torn between Alina's one and Robespierre because he just sounds annoying. Um, But for like pure sadism (laughs) and French. (laughs) (laughs) It's um, in our blood. We can't help it. The anti-French thing. <laughs> we fear it's genetic. But I think for pure kind of horrendous sadism, I'm going to go with Alina's uh, Polish named Capo. It's interesting, isn't it? Because none of us know his name. We still don't know his name. She's told us three times, but it's just Mr. what he represents. <laughs> yeah, Mister Mister Bastard. Um, First name yeah. Bruno. Oh, I couldn't get the reference. Yeah, you got it right. Bruno Brodniewicz. But he represents a traitor in a way as well, doesn't he? Which I think is equally um, unpalatable as some of the other things. The fact that he was he was supposed to be yeah. one of them. I think that makes him particularly disgusting as well. Yeah. Holmes, where are you coming down? Um, it's 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 difficult. We've heard a lot on Bruno. I, of course, what he did was utterly terrible. But I'm mindful that we can't blame him for all of the Holocaust, which is a possible tendency to do here. Um, John Bunyan, he just sounds like a chap you wouldn't want to get down the pub with to me. Um, he sounds more of a bit of a dick than a villain, to be honest. Um, the Rome one, the Caesar one, I'm, I'm struggling with a little bit because whilst I get all the... I get all the arguments against him, but everyone was sort of doing that at the time, you know, and people went on and did things like that for much later on in history as well. No one ever um, topped that body count, to be fair. No, but I mean, <laughs> Even but Trajan you, couldn't, couldn't top that. But if, then, if you then look how like, the British behaved in India, you know, almost 18, 1900 years later, there's some stuff that perhaps wasn't our finest hour then as well. So it's like, um, I, I'm still go, drawn back to Vlad the Impaler, to be honest, in that if you look, he just seems to be a bit of a nutter. Everyone else had sort of slight underlying reasons why they were doing certain things, whether we agree that they were good or bad. But I'm very strongly drawn back to Vlad the Impaler. Johnny, what about you? Yeah, I, it's, uh, I, I'm utterly enlightened by, by what we've heard about Caesar. I, I just uh, sort of blown away by just, just the madness of the man. Um, it's very difficult. Um, the, the Capo Chappy, I, it's... I, I've always really struggled with with the business of the Holocaust and all the rest of it, and I don't know a huge amount about it because it, there's something that repels me from reading more and and, and understanding more. Um, 
Vladimir Impaler, I'm I'm really up there in terms of just the sheer madness and lunacy of the man. With just there appears to be no apparent reason why he just likes sticking stuff up people's bottoms. It's just genuine madness that which I think for for any any proper villain, um, Jack the Ripper. That, that kind of comes up there as well. Um, but I think there's, there's the folklore element about it. Um, I'd also be intrigued if we have time, Ben, if, if there are, there are other suburbs of cities where there are characters who have that kind of element oh, yeah. about them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, as I said, I mean, when I said Jack the Ripper, it generally it's sort of, it refers to sort of all the sort of horrible sort of eviscerating target the vulnerable serial killers so again i think i'm cheating here but you know <laughs> so people like Sutcliffe and she all those all those kind of people so the the mm. the generic sort of um sadosexually motivated um necrophiliac ghastly sort of um target the vulnerable serial killer as terrible as they were, they generally acted in isolation and didn't spread fear across many countries and even continents, as we've seen with Caesar. And that's others. true. That, that, that's true, but, but, but that's only by dint of their sort of lack of um, political acumen and, and status, I would say. I think, I think, I think yeah. Johnny, are you what, gearing mm. this up to go to Rafa Benitez? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I was ab- I was about to discuss Mel Gibson. Um, uh, yeah, should we just give it to him? <laughs> if, if nothing else, I mean, you know, just a lot of crap films. Um, you know, I, I, I'm with you there, but it's there's there's been some some incredibly good cases put forward. I'm having done some research. I'm disappointed that you didn't get anyone to do Genghis Khan. Because there's some real lunacy in there, and just a propensity mm. for, for for sex and violence on an industrial scale, which was quite spectacular. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think um, Mr. Holmes and I can um, can kind of uh, discuss and make our conclusions from here. Well, I think we're Johnny. We I think we're torn between. I mean, I'm I'm favouring Vladimir Impaler. Are you still going towards Rospierre? I do, It's 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 yeah. Is it's it a that, tough one. Is it that cheese restaurant in a la- in a ras that's? <laughs> <laughs> it is a very very good cheese restaurant. It has to be said. Yeah, there is, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think Rosier started it, so I don't think he opened it. <laughs> yeah, this is fair. I mean, it smells like it. It smells like he could have, to be honest. <laughs> Johnny is a sucker for cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sucker for cheese. Uh, you know what? I, I think just in terms of of the sheer lunacy of it. I think I think Vlad the Impaler is is the man. Woohoo! Well done, James. Do we have a decision? Oh, thank yeah. you. It looks like we do. James has won. James, who originally wanted to argue for Kitchener, and I said no because <laughs> I love him. <laughs> I think uh, I gave him some shit excuse about too many people from the 20th century. It was I'm not having anyone ditch it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not having anyone ditch this Kitchener. Uh, no. Oh, well done, James. Yeah. Off the top of your head, what's going to be in our Vladimir Impaler? Oh, do you know what? I might have to crack open. I know it's technically not the same country, but you know that rancid bottle of Unicum you got me from Hungary? (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm thinking that needs to be the base ingredient. If anyone's ever been to Budapest, you would have had this stuff and it's fucking vile, but I will will do my best. I've had Raka from the Balkans and that's... Or I do have a really lovely herbal Eastern European vodka that's got honey and different herbs in it. So I think I might... Alex, you need to to make sure that it's got something something, uh, hanging off a cocktail stick in it as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to impale something, aren't I, as a garnish. But also, the only thing is, if I go for the Polish Krupnik vodka um, to use in it, it means Alina's going to have to ship us all bottles of it so we can make the cocktail. That's all right. I don't mind. Yeah. It's cheap cheap here for me, so not a problem. <laughs> Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome. I've learned so much, um, especially about Julius Bloody Caesar. <laughs> I felt sorry for him getting stabbed. No more. Never again. Yeah, no Emma, give, yeah, Emma, give us your breakdown of that. I'd love to hear your description of how he dies. That is actually in the book that's out in September, Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. So. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks really, for setting that yeah, No, no, no. I can't wait for that book. It's going to be awesome. Um, I saw the title and I was like, yeah, this is absolutely the person we need to be on this program discussing complete <laughs> bastards. Uh, guys, it's been brilliant. Uh, take care, everybody. Uh, we'll have to have lots of you back individually to talk about your specialisms. Um, but until then... Uh, it's goodbye from us uh tomorrow we will be back with the holland brothers we have james holland versus tom holland tomorrow um which should be great fun uh i think james is slightly disturbed we may put him up against his brother in a pub quiz uh because apparently he will lose and we will all lose uh but we we will put that out tomorrow afternoon when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.